the turnover rate is insane. But if you're educating your butt tenders, you're promoting from within, you're providing further education opportunities, you're offering a competitive salary or hourly rate, the likelihood of retention obviously jumps. And that's going to really differentiate you from your competitors. Welcome to the KayaCast, the podcast for cannabis businesses looking to launch, grow, and scale their operations. Each week, we bring you interviews with industry experts and successful retailers, plus practical tips and strategies to help you succeed in the fast-growing cannabis industry. Welcome back to the KayaCast podcast. I'm your host, Tom Mulhern. And before we start the show, I just want to let you know that we are running a special special promotion for 420 coming up in a couple of weeks where we are giving away a whole year of Kaya Push for free. That's right. One lucky dispensary is going to get Kaya Push for a year at their dispensary free for a year at one location. That's an amazing, amazing prize to give away. Kaya Push is also giving away a second place prize to a dispensary for branded swag for your dispensary at one location. There are two amazing prizes that you can win to celebrate 420 coming up. All you have to do is head over to our website, which is kayapush.com slash 420 giveaway. And for podcast listeners, you get a secret code that can give you more entries into the draw. So if you put in 420 KayaCast as a secret code, you will get entered in for more draws and more opportunities to win. Go over today and sign up for that free giveaway. It's going to be a lot of fun leading up to 420. But today on the podcast, I have a conversation with Caitlin Kosky, who is the Director of Business Development at Point Seven Group. Point Seven Group are consultants in the cannabis industry for a whole bunch of different things, including branding and applications, and, and, and they help businesses from start to finish really launch, grow, and scale. And so Caitlin is a perfect fit for this podcast. We had an amazing conversation. Caitlin started out in the cannabis industry as a bud tender and her story of finding different opportunities and really embracing that self-education so that she could grow in her knowledge is just fantastic. And so I hope you enjoy this interview. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Caitlin Kosky from Point seven group. For the six years prior to joining Point Seven Group, Caitlin rose quickly into a leadership position for a large vertical operation in Colorado, where she supervised eight dispensary locations and served as the metric and compliance director at a 40,000 square foot site with over 9,000 plants. Her role included oversight of all compliance requirements for the company's five cultivation licenses. Caitlin supports Point Seven's clients as the Director of Business Development, sharing her extensive experience in dispensary and cultivation operation, including compliance, financial reporting, inventory management, staffing, training, SOP development, and seed-to-sale tracking. Point Seven Group is a global cannabis consulting firm. They're a world-class team of experts with direct hands-on experience in the regulated cannabis industry are known for agility, speed, and exceptional service. They partner with their clients to build forward-thinking, compliant cannabis organizations, combining cannabis expertise with their clients' local insights. 
They transform companies by examining, optimizing, and refining people, systems, and processes. And they love what they do. Caitlin, thank you so much for coming to the podcast, for being on the KayaCast. And it's so awesome to have you here. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for asking me to join. I'm excited to kind of hear your story and your journey. We spoke before and you're actually one of the first bud tenders, former bud tenders that we've had on the show. And this whole podcast is aimed at dispensaries and dispensary businesses. And we haven't had a bud tender on there. So you get to be our our resident expert on that. I didn't know that. That's awesome. I'm honored. Yeah. So before we jump in there, tell me a bit about your background and how did you get involved in the cannabis industry? I'm not going to lie. It kind of just fell into my lap. I was on a summer long backpacking couch surfing trip in Colorado. I had never been west from New Jersey. Really just wanted to see some mountains. Coincidentally, I met a really great group of people within the first week. And one of the women that I met in that first week was a director of retail for the dispensary chain in Colorado they ended up working for. She was just like, you are great, your personality, like, let's just, let's just get you in there, even if it's just for a month this summer, just to get you some experience in the cannabis industry. I had intended on finishing nursing school in New Jersey. So I was like, okay, well, this sounds like a lot of fun. So I joined the team as a bud tender for Rocky Mountain High down in Denver. They had multiple locations like eight throughout the state i think they've i think they've released some since then that was like nine years ago but it was a pretty big operation then and, and i know it still is a somewhat pretty big operation now so yeah it was just it was kind of given to me but from there is where i determined like okay this is the industry that i want to be in i don't know how i'm going to make it because bud tenders don't make necessarily a lot of money but i'm going to make it work and yeah, somehow I did. So what kind of drew you, I know you, you said that you kind of fell into it, but what drew you to a career as a bud tender? Like, I mean, there's so many different ways you could go. You could be in cultivation or, but being that like frontline person, what kind of was the thing that you said, yeah, this fits me. I've always said that people are my passion because I, I genuinely love talking to people. I mean, I was a kid always getting yelled at in class because I didn't know how to shut up. Like it was, I really enjoy talking to people and especially when in the bud tending sense of things, you're having to constantly extract information from people to give the best advice for them. And so you're really learning each customer's story as time allows, the lines out the door, you know, you have to move a little faster, but depending on the situation, the scenario and the person, if they're willing to open up to you, you really get to connect with people. So it was just my connection with people and my like natural gravity towards people and their stories and just listening and being in that role to be able to not only listen, but to be able to also advise was really, really interesting to me and exciting. How did you learn about the plant and so that you could advise people? Because that's one of the biggest things about being a bud tender is knowing the product, knowing what people need when they need it. Yeah, the Colorado market was pretty in its infancy then, but there was brands like Mary's Medicinals that made it a point to provide the bed tenders with educational materials. Some did, some didn't. So I really dove into educational materials per brand if they provided them, and then also did a lot of online research and 
definitely a lot of experimenting plus online reading. There's a lot of resources out there that that are absolutely free to you to learn. Because as mentioned previously, you're not making much as a bartender. So unless your company is shelling out that cash for you, you might not, it might just be too difficult for you to pay for this course. It's not that you don't want to. And so I was just using like the free online sources and then my coworkers. So what did that career growth from bartender to director of business development at 0.7 group look like? You know, that that's a pretty steep growth a career growth path. What did that look like? And how did you end up at 0.7? Honestly, for me, one of the most differentiating factors that I found about myself it was through the industry. And like, when I look back, is I really, like, cared to actually learn compliance. Because when you're trying to step growth in this industry, you can't go to the next step if you don't even understand the regulations that you're operating under. What I have found when just through managing is that a lot of bartenders, they didn't seem to take that initiative to actually sit down and read the regulations of their state, which one blows my mind because you are held liable if you, it like, yes, the license entity will get a fine, but you also get a fine. And you also get taken to court depending on the state and depending on what the infraction is. But it's crazy to me the amount of people who don't actually understand what they're operating under and the rules. And I think that was my biggest like up on a lot of my peers at the time is I was actually taking the time to understand what we were actually operating under. And a lot of that had to do with the first general manager that I worked under. My first day, like, handed me the book. It's like, you need to understand this. You need to learn this. And I took it seriously. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Like, cool, let's do this. And then it ended up being where he was let go from the company. And we were kind of in this period of we just didn't have a manager. It was quite interesting. And I naturally just stepped up to like, okay, well, let's learn how to do the manifest. Let's learn metric. Let's do this. Let's do that. Not that I necessarily knew like, okay, this is this is my forever career goal. And this is the industry I'm going to be in for forever. But I knew I really enjoyed it. And I wanted to see, I did want to see where it could take me. So it was just kind of a, like, yeah, I'm going to take on more responsibility. The opportunity is actually right here. But when I got the offer for Point Seven Group, I had to make the hard decision to leave the Wheat Ridge store and join Point Seven full-time. And then I just had a few titles from there. Like I started at just a consultant, helping people with their applications in terms of operations. And then I transitioned to the client success manager. And it wasn't until March of last year that I became the director of business development which is a really fun role. And I think because of my operational background, I get to stay with the client once signed and actually continue to do that operational consulting, which is, that's what I enjoy. Like I, that's, I love taking the experience I, that I've learned from this past nine years and actually helping people decide like, okay, this decision might not be that great. We can do this. This is how you avoid that that band-aid won't last for forever. So let's do it like this. And that's the really unique position that I've somehow gotten myself to is to be able to do that still while also learning a new business skill of being business development person for Point Seven, which is really cool. You know, you are really unique. 
in who you are. I think it just blossoms out of you that like what other bud tenders are just sitting there reading the compliance and and that like that's that that shines through you in in what you've done. So say you open a dispensary and you are creating a training program for bud tenders. What would you do and how would you kind of share the why of your business? We're going to get into point 7 pretty soon here, but I just have one more bud tender question. So how would you create a training program for bud tenders if you were opening a dispensary? I would definitely make sure it's digital so people have access to this. Because what's one of the things I noticed initially is, sure, you're, a dispensary would have an SOP book that was like this big, printed in a binder, one copy. And so I would make sure that everything is digitalized and that we're touching on not only my internal, like, this is how I would like you to behave and this is the policies of this company, but also on the plant science. That should be something that I think is honestly quizzed on. Like, are you going to lose your job if you're not passing? No. Would you likely not be put on the sales floor and at a receptionist deck? Yes. Making sure that there's compliance questions and education and actually science education would be is critical. And it's one of the things that I think is often left on the table where if you don't know the science behind it, you don't know how to advise if you truly don't understand the science of it. And then one of the things about keeping it digital, which is really nice, is as your vendors change and change their ingredient list, add SKUs, things like that, that can all be updated in the training modules as well. So you want to make sure that your training has the science, the compliance, and then vendor specifics. So if you're selling Wana gummies, your butt tender should understand the ingredients and the effects and this and that of the Wana gummies that you're carrying. So I think just making sure that you're providing updates as needed, that you're actually holding accountability and just saying, here, read this. To a lot of people, that's not, they're not going to read that. But if you're doing, even if it's quarterly check-ins and that check-in being like, here's 10 to 15 questions, like, let's just make sure that you're actually retaining this information. That's going to be really helpful. What we used to do in Regridge was we would hold team meetings, would order a pizza. If we had a new vendor, it would be very vendor specific of the education on that and their products and things like that. In Colorado, the regulations were constantly changing with red lines. Once again, holding a little pizza party, updating that, and then making sure that the the updates that you're providing live are actually being transcribed into your digital copies and that there's just accountability. I think one of the biggest things is as a manager is say something goes wrong and there's an infraction and the bartender says, well, I didn't know. I didn't know that this wasn't allowed. Well, if you have this training module that you've, you've tested on, you've quizzed, you've inquired about, and you have that record, and you can say like, actually, this was asked on this day that you have, you've signed the bottom of this quiz. It protects you and your license significantly. It sounds like your dispensary, this imaginary dispensary is going to be, you're going to have some well-trained bud tenders in there because you're going to make it fun for them. Yeah. And I think training's just the most important aspect of, of I, I think, the whole business but particularly retail, say you're a new dispensary, like you haven't opened your doors yet. And even if you have, 
Find a space in your facility where you can do mock transactions, but have them do it with their peers. What are they saying? How are they reacting to questions? What's their actual tone like when they're speaking to someone? If they're not taking it seriously and their their responses to the questions are kind of half-assed, like that's not going to change when the customers come to play. If anything, they're going to get more annoyed because the question is the customers asking questions. Like that was it's one of the things that as a bud tender you have to be prepared for. There are people who know nothing about this, so they have a thousand questions. And it is your job to educate them without frustration. And there's those people that know a lot about it and have a thousand questions and you have to put up with, well, now I'm looking for a certain terpene profile on this. And if you don't know, if you can't answer their question, they're gonna go somewhere else. Like that's that's just the long and short of it. So now you're at point seven. So what exactly does point seven technology do? I always say that we work under three umbrellas. So we do pre-application strategy, things like getting your business plan, your financial model together, helping you with the community plan, because more and more you're seeing that being a really prevalent part of the application, filling in team gaps, anything that we can to prepare you for the inevitable application period. And then we have the application period, the super fun narrating process, typically. So most applications, if they're merit-based and competitive, they're going to have you responding in written narratives. What that looks like is a little bit different depending on the state. Could have page limits, like five to 10 pages, could go based off word count, or they could just be full-on free-for-alls and you get to put every ounce of information that you want. So through that process, we are the application writers. So we're the ones actually helping you create these narratives because so many people, they don't realize that these applications need to be technically drafted. So you need to have technical writing skills. You need to have an understanding of that state's compliance because you need to be citing it throughout the entire application. But you also in the midst of all of this, need to make it a compelling story. I think a lot of people through the application phase, they leave out that storytelling piece and it deducts. Because when you think about it, these reviewers, they're normal people. They have to get sucked into your application for you to really stand out. But you don't want to stand out for the wrong reasons. Like You obviously want to be like an extremely compliant application but I think the most important part is just also adding that compelling aspect to it as well. Indicating like, this is how connected I am to this community. This is how I'm going to expand this community. This is how I plan to help bring jobs here and how many jobs and at what pay. You wanna get as granular as possible to so just make them know that like, you're not just here. I mean, people think this is a cash cow, but when you really break it down, cannabis is not a cash cow. You're not just here to buy into the supposed cash cow. You're here to be a business of the community and really bring that community up with you. So that's the application piece. And then the post-licensure piece. Many people, okay, they have this license in hand. Now what? <laughs> um, who's going to train them? Who's going to hire them? Who's going to help me pick every single fixture and a piece of equipment that I need to sustain this facility. Who's going to get me through the inspection? We will, is the short answer. So one of the things that I also just, again, love about my personal journey in this space 
is I get to take that early on experience and then put it back into action for my clients. One of my, to this day, favorite clients was a Missouri dispensary. And I was able to go out there numerous times, help them set up, did their inspection with them, went back like a year and a half later to do training for some of their new hires. And it's just, it's so fun and rewarding because you see where we're helping you stand up your business and then watching that business thrive. That is the most rewarding part of what we do. So yeah, those would be the three pillars or three umbrellas. This year for 420, Kaya Push is doing their biggest giveaway yet. One lucky dispensary owner can win one year free of Kaya Push for one dispensary location. But that's not all. We're also offering a second place prize where one dispensary owner can win custom branded dispensary swag for all of their staff at one retail location. You can also get extra entries by listening to the podcast, following us on social media, or booking and attending a demo with us. Enter now at kayapush.com slash 420 giveaway. So you develop basically a whole strategy plan with your clients from start to finish, but how do you help people actually execute on these roadmaps that you've built for them, these strategy plans that you've built for them? One of the first steps post-licensure is doing a commitment check, going through the application, being like, okay, these are all the things that we committed to in their application, and then determining Do we need contractors for these? Do we need to develop this training and get it into our clients' hands in terms of fixtures and such? Do we just need to hire a designer? It's taking that commitment list, breaking it down into categories like 0.7 handles, we make introduction to contractors, our client can handle internally like paperwork things. So we take that and kind of just delegate from there on who gets what, and we're guiding through the whole process. So it's a lot of bridge building which is also great because again, it's just taking the people who we've met in the industry and spreading them further and making their network grow by introducing them to more clients. Now you've probably seen it all when people are launching their cannabis operations, but what are some of the common blind spots that people have? Like things that they overlook or, you know, they forgot to write their name on the top of the application, whatever it is, what are What are those like common blind spots that people keep making, those common mistakes people keep making when they're launching? I think some people definitely don't consider the cost of, especially security. When you tell them that a dispensary security system is roughly like $75,000 to $125K alone, they're like, oh, we didn't expect that. Um, and then I think also just not creating relationships within their state of fellow license holders. If you're a dispensary, you can only have one relationship with one cultivation because anything can go wrong in that cultivation at any given time, making their available products diminish. So I think one of the things that a lot of people tend to fail to do is really network themselves in their own market, which just doesn't make them as competitive as the license holder as they could be. And that goes for any license. If you're a cultivator, you need multiple dispensaries. If you're a processor, you need multiple dispensaries plus multiple cultivators. So I think not networking enough, not thinking about the true expenses, not learning 280E to the extent that they should, especially as a retail license prospect. The amount of people that we have, that I speak with that they have no idea what I'm talking about when it comes to 280 is alarming. 
it's a pretty big factor in your profitability. And so if you don't know the ins and outs of that, and you don't have an accountant that knows the ins and outs of that, that could be a pretty big blow. That could, that could destroy a dispensary applicant. So I think it's just the lack of market research, again, lack of networking, um, and just not not truly understanding the financials of this. And maybe part of that is a lot of people don't want to shell out money for a proper financial model before they go down this, this pathway. But it, I mean, if the financial model does anything, it at least tells you that this is a viable option for you or this is not a viable option for you and you need to hold off. What are some of the most creative marketing ideas that you've seen cannabis retailers use to kind of grow their brand? Like, You've probably seen some really great ideas and some really terrible ideas, but what are some of those like really creative, fun, interesting ideas that make them stand out? I think it all comes down to your messaging and like your imagery. So one of the the client who I was talking about earlier, actually, they teamed up with a branding company called Supper and the artwork that they put out makes them so unique, especially in the Missouri market, because you don't, you see a lot of kind of plain Jane marketing, but in terms of a dispensary brand, one that gets them recognized is they have a lot of artwork that comes out on interesting merchandise. So whether it be like your dad stomp pad, like whether it be a towel, it's something it's not, it's not always just like your hoodies and your hats. They come out with some pretty interesting things. Like they had a limited edition poster that was, if you're ever following already, that's only going to amplify you. You're trying to create something that sticks to a mindset and that brings other people to bring that compliment. Like, wow, that sweatshirt's really cool. That design is really cool. And then I think also being a part of the community, part of your brand, part of your messaging, part of who you are as a company should truly be interacting with the community having community education events, community job fairs, that's all a part of your brand. Making sure that you're a pillar of your community is a brand message. And I think it's really important, especially in terms of like job creation, job fairs, even if you don't have open roles, like saying we're going to host this community job fair with get, get a few different organizations and your team could be there supporting resume building. So bring your resume, we'll redline it for you. We'll help you build this. That's giving back to the community and that's a part of your brand. Now you also focus on compliance. And so what are some of the biggest errors around compliance as well? Like, you know, I, I don't know if you get those emails from cannabis media, but it's like every time that there's like somebody that's broken compliance, there's the big red thing that's like, ah, so what can dispensaries do to stay compliant? And what sort of services do you guys offer to help with that? I think the biggest compliance issue that is across the board, always an issue in every state is inventory. People aren't tracking their inventory correctly. I, I know it sounds daunting, but I, I truly think you should be counting your inventory, at least your on-floor inventory twice a day. And I promise you it'll get faster. Your team has to get a method and a system down, and they will. The first few weeks, it's going to take forever. No one's going to be happy about it. But they'll get a counting system down, and that'll save you so much trouble, even from the cultivation side of things like and processing. Tracking and logging your inventory correctly is incredibly important. And for some reason, 
it's often just not. You go into a metric or a bio track and you see all these package tags that have all this material in it from a year ago that you know are not in your store or your cultivation or your processing facility. The fact that they've been there for a year tells you right there and then your inventory manager is not acting as efficient as they should be. And beyond that, your general manager or whoever it is, is not checking this and is not making sure that these packages are being pulled accurately. And that can take you down. If you have pounds in your system that are not in your store, you can't just erase that. Like that's, that's tracked. And so I think inventory is definitely one of the biggest things that people just fall through the loop on. And then on the dispensary side of things, they don't select their POS system properly. Selling over limit. I've heard more horror stories than I should about by tender selling over limit. And again, depending on the state, yes, the license gets an infraction, but you as an individual also get a fine and have to go to court. The easy fix there is picking a POS system that has automatic purchasing limit notifications. But I understand that some people are operating with older systems or they don't, for budget reasons, use one that doesn't. But making sure that your bartender has an education of the purchasing limit and making sure that they recognize the consequences to themselves. And again, that's the education piece and that's training. It's interesting as you're talking, a lot of those compliance issues, obviously there's legal ramifications, but there's also customer experience ramifications because if you're not doing inventory, I, I went to a local dispensary here and they gave me their menu and it was just Sharpie, just scratched out everything. And you're like, there's a better way, guys. Like, I know there's a better way. I know the systems you're using and you're not utilizing this technology. Like, and so compliance is, it, it really is two-step. Like you can ha- get in trouble, but also if you're not doing some of those things, your customers aren't going to come back because they're going to go down the street where they you ha- they have the inventory that I need. They have educated bud tenders. It's not just price. It's, it's that experience that is going to make your business grow. And I mean, even as simple as updating the online inventory, you know, if someone comes in two, three times and each time you don't have what your website says you have, as you just mentioned, there goes that experience. They're going to go to the, to the guy down the street who somehow manages to update their menu. Like you don't. What is, you know, you, you've had a lot of experience with dispensaries and working in dispensaries and helping dispensaries grow so what is one tip that you would have for a dispensary owner to kind of grow their business? Comes back down to education. Really, really invest in your bed tenders. If you have the extra finances to do additional like science programs and, and plant education programs, do it. If you have the resources to make sure, like whether it be a little program, like we supply your bus pass are we give you a incentive for riding your bike to work? Like make it a family. This isn't just a business. One of the things that really stood out to me in the last dispensary I worked for is that we were a family and that made people want to stay. Because one of the things that dispensary owners, I mean, any license holder is going to find, bud tenders, cultivation techs, processing techs, the turnover rate is insane. But if you're educating your butt tenders, you're promoting from within, you're providing further education opportunities, you're 
offering a competitive salary, our hourly rate, the likelihood of retention obviously jumps. And that's going to really differentiate you from your competitors. If Mary down the street has a new bud tender every week, but you've had the same one for X amount of years, one, their education, I guarantee you, is going to be on the plant itself and on your products is going to be significantly stronger. And two, they're going to gain a reputation and a personality in your community. The people of your community are going to know who Gary the bartender is because they've been going to him for a year now. So I think really focusing on the education and the happiness of your bartenders is, is critical. Like make sure your retention rate is not the industry standard. If you can create an environment where your employees love being there and they're happy and they're learning and they're like, they don't want to leave because they know that that customer is going to come in that always comes in and is going to need their help. Like that's what's going to make that retention rate so much smaller. And encouraging growth. I, I mean, obviously, if you're a one man's shop, there's only so much growth that can happen. But indicating that you have strong relationships with other license holders and that maybe Maybe I'm only one store and I don't ever want to open anything else. But I have a network where if if I feel that you've outgrown this bed tending position, that I could happily pass you along because I've put the education resources into, into your growth as a career at any job. You want to be working for someone who wants you to succeed. If you're working for someone who only ever wants you in the position that you're in, and they don't care about your growth, you're not going to want to be there. and You're not going to want to stay there. But if you prove that you actually care about these people, which you should, because it is your business and they are working for you, the success rate of your store is going to go up. Your, your customers are going to be happier. Your employers are going to be happier. And yeah, I mean, who doesn't want to see their people succeed, right? Oh, man, this has been so good. I, I think we could just keep on going on this for, for a while. But how can our listeners find out more about you and Point Seven, and you know, kind of connect with what you guys are doing? Because, you know, I'm sure there's so many people that are either looking to launch right now or want to grow, or they're like, ah, I need, I need some help with this. So, how do they reach out to you, Caitlin? Yeah, definitely use our website, so Point7Group.com. We have a contact us form. You can fill out a little tidbit about the state you're interested in, the license type you're interested, in, and I encourage you to use the additional information section because any extra tidbits that I can learn prior to our call helps. Sometimes, you know, if it, especially if it's a new state like, and you have questions, I'm gonna make sure I have those answers. So if those are in the additional information box, I can do that prior to our call. And then obviously we're, all, we're also on social media. So at, at Point7 Group is our Instagram um, and Point7 Group is our Facebook as well. We're I try to be super responsive on there, but the best way is definitely through the contact us form on the website. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And I know that you, we're going to have to have you back because like I said, we I wanted to keep going, but yeah, I really appreciate you sharing your insights and your story of your career growth as a bud tender to where you are now helping other dispensaries launch and grow. And it's, it's so encouraging and so, so fun to to hear you talk with the passion you have. Well, thank you. This has been awesome.
man, I was inspired, especially by that last part where she was just talking about, you know, how dispensary owners can help support, help grow their bud tenders because that growth mindset is such an important part of everything we do at Kaya Push and everything we do as a company really leads to that, that development, that growth mindset. And if you are a dispensary owner and you want to grow your business, you want to grow your bud tenders, you've got to invest in them. You've got to give them opportunities to learn, to grow, and 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 to really grow in their career. You're going to have a happy store, happy bud tenders, happy customers. So again, thank you, Caitlin, for taking the time to kind of unpack her story of going from being a bud tender to now, you know, this the director of business development for this amazing organization that's working in the cannabis industry to help hundreds of dispensaries across the nation grow their business. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and don't forget to enter into our 420 giveaway, which is happening soon. So there's still time. If you go to kayapush.com slash 420 giveaway, you can enter and use that secret code of 420 kayacast to get extra entries into the draw. So thanks for listening to the KayaCast podcast, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the KayaCast podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast in your favorite podcast app, or visit our website to learn more about our guests and to access the full archive of episodes from the show. Join us next time as we continue to explore the world of cannabis and help you grow, launch, and scale your business.